Good morning, everybody, and welcome to summertime. <laughs> That's kind of what it feels like this morning. Like, we have officially hit where kids are out of school, people can go places, and uh, it's also a holiday weekend, so so glad that you're here. If it is your first time, we are glad that you're at South Point. Um, you guys know what we're going to be talking about today, but before we get there, um, this is also Memorial Weekend, and yes, it is a time that we have cookouts and things like that. Most of us will have Monday off. Um, but at the same time, there's a difference between Memorial Day and Veterans Day. Later in the year, we're going to celebrate veterans, those that have served and are serving in our military. And this is Abilene, and so we're definitely a military community. But Memorial Day is a time of remembrance. It's a time of remembering those men and women who gave literally everything. Um, they gave their all. They gave their life. And just about every one of us knows someone who did that. It could be someone in your family, it could be a loved one, could have been a friend. Um, and so this morning as we start, uh, we're just going to take a moment and pray. Before we get into the message and before we get into really the, kind of the climax of this entire story that we've been walking through, we're going to take a moment and pray. Uh, we're going to say thank you for those that have laid down their lives so that we can have a lot of freedom, so that I can stand here today and unapologetically and without any worry preach the gospel. And at the same time, we're going to pray for family who lost a loved one. Maybe it was a mom, maybe it was a dad, maybe it was a sister, mother, brother, all of those. There's people that this weekend is a lot tougher for them because they understand loss. And so let's pray, and then we'll continue to worship together. God, we do love you. God, I want to say thank you. God, you've placed a calling in everyone's life. I say thank you for the calling that you placed in mine. Because it's an honor to be able to stand up and proclaim the gospel. And God, in other people's lives, you called them into a ministry that's defense and protection. And God, you've done that for generations. God, I think about the people in my family who served, and God, we can all know someone that immediately comes to mind who's served in one of the branches of the military, and God, we also always think of those that did lay down their lives so that we can have this freedom. So God, we just say thank you. Thank you for your provision. Thank you for our protection. And God, this weekend, as yes, we gather together and we celebrate, God, we also want to remember God, the people that loved others enough that they laid down their life. And God, for their families this weekend, and not just this weekend, God, I pray that we remember like, to, to reach out and to love well because there are people that are dealing with loss. God, I pray that we can surround them and point them to another that laid down his life for all. So God, we thank you. And I pray this would just be a weekend where, yes, we do come together and, God, you build us up and we just stay focused on you. We ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen. So in January, we started walking through the book of Nehemiah. And, man, it's, uh, it's about to be June. <laughs> and so we, we will finish it up next week. But this week, 
really is kind of this climax of everything that's happened. So if you go to a movie, like I love watching movies. I love sitting down with my family. We do a movie night typically like once a month. And you love watching a movie where it all culminates in that moment where this is the climax. This is where you're going to find out what's going to happen. And most of the time, you know what's going to happen. The good guy's probably going to win. But there's still that moment where you're just waiting and watching. Okay, all this is built up. All these different things have happened. How's it going to end? Like in 2019, I remember going to the movie theater to watch Endgame. Now, not to give it away or anything like that, but if you haven't seen the movie that's made more money than any other movie, I am going to give the ending away, okay? And so in 2008, started watching all these Marvel movies. And like I realized early on, I'm not just watching one movie. They're all going to be building towards something bigger. And there's this moment at the end of it where Iron Man snaps his finger and all is well. And then we cried. And then that was the climax of this entire series. It doesn't matter if it's that movie or another one. Is Frodo going to throw the ring in? Like we'd watch several movies of these hobbits running around. And he'd technically throw it in. But shout out, he got it done. And so it's all good. And then you watch that last little rose petal fall off. And it begins to drift down. And you wonder, is he still going to be a beast? No, it's a Disney movie. It's all good. He's a human. Everybody's human. You're not a clock anymore. Everything's good. Like we wait for those moments where everything comes to its big climax. And so we've been walking through the book of Nehemiah. And today's message is really the climax of this thing. Because hopefully you've picked up that this really, like if I would never change anything in scripture, but if you were to kind of break this down like in the way we do today, sometimes when you write books, there's part one, part two. That's how Nehemiah plays out. Part one is building the wall. Nehemiah is given permission to go to Jerusalem, and he looks around, he sees this city in rubble, and it's just destitute, and yet he knows this is the city of God, this is supposed to be something bigger. And he rallies people, and he gathers people, and he, you know, raises up leaders, and they build this wall. In 52 days, this entire wall is built. And then you get part two of the book. In part two, yes, the wall is built, but you realize there's something bigger going on. And there's this spiritual revival, and there's these reforms taking place, and God's word is being read over people for the first time. And, man, everything begins to take shape. And today is going to be the culmination of those two things. You're going to see the wall. You're going to see the spiritual revival. But you're also going to see what it's really about. And so let's jump in. We're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 12. In verse 27, it says this, And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the district surrounding Jerusalem, from the villages of the Nephilites, and from Beth Gilgal, and from the region of Geba and Asmath, for the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people, and the gates and the wall. As we kind of jump into this climactic moment in the book of Nehemiah, the first thing we need to understand is where we stand with God affects our worship of God. Like how we, A.W. Tozer said, like, what you think of God is one of the most important things in your life. And these people are going to understand that, hey, There was a time not that long ago, we didn't really know God. We were just slaves. We were people living in remote villages. We were people who hadn't heard the word of God preached or read over us. 
And yet now they understand, hey, where we are with God has a massive effect on our worship of God. Because what's about to happen, there is about to be a celebration that these people have never been a part of. There is about to be a party that they have never fully experienced. This is a group of people that have been coming together and coming together. Yes, they've had times where God's word's been read over them, and they have wept and mourned, and they have seen that it's beautiful, and they've celebrated. But today is going to be a little different party. Like your whatever soiree we're going to have this weekend isn't going to compare with what these people are about to experience. Because all these people begin to gather together. And they understand, like, we're going to celebrate what God has done. We are going to dedicate this wall, not to ourselves. Like, they didn't write their names on it. They said, we're going to dedicate this wall to God. And so they begin to gather all the Levites that were in the area because they understood the Levites are kind of the religious leaders. They're the people that are going to point us back. They're going to lead us in worship. They understood that this is going to be a celebration, but it's going to be done in the right way. And so they gather all these Levites together, and then they're going to celebrate. And their celebration is going to be marked with several different things. One, they said, it's going to be marked with gladness. This is not a funeral. <laughs> this is not a time, like, they've had a moment where the first time that God's word is read over them, if you remember back, it says they just broke down and cried. They broke down and cried because they understood, man, I've got this conviction in my life, and I'm realizing so many things that I'm doing, I'm not walking in step with God and there was a sense of conviction, and that conviction brought remorse. But this is going to be a time where they say, hey, I've moved past that. This is going to be a time of gladness where I'm thinking and reflecting on who God is. And then it says there's going to be thanksgiving. As these people get ready, they're going to walk along the wall. We'll see that in just a second. And they're going to celebrate, and they're going to sing, and they're going to do all these things. But this is an unbelievable time of thanksgiving. I think it's a huge time of thanksgiving because these people are just going to reflect back on all that's happened to them in the last basically three months. For years and years and years, imagine, put yourself in their place. You have lived your entire life under oppression from someone, knowing that, hey, I don't get to make all my own choices. There's a leader thousands of miles away that dictates everything that happens in my life. Or maybe you live in Jerusalem, and you look around and you go, man, this used to be an amazing city. This used to be a place that people talked about. This used to be a place where people would flock to every single year during the Passover, like the city would swell hundreds of thousands of people showing up to make atonement for their sin, to worship God. It was a time of celebration, and yet these people look out and all they see is rubble. All they see is a fallen wall and people wondering, am I going to be alive tomorrow? Like, put yourself in that spot for a minute and imagine that has been your life. Now imagine that's been the life of your parents and even your grandparents. And maybe even a generation before that. And then suddenly this guy shows up with this vision and he's talking about God and he's going to raise this wall. And man, he starts motivating people and suddenly this wall goes up. This is what they're thankful for. Because for all those years of oppression, in a span of a couple of months, Nehemiah shows up. And Nehemiah has spent months praying about what God wants him to do and he feels convicted and he knows this is what God's called me to do. And then he shows up and he sneaks out like a ninja one night, makes his way around the city and he just observes all the rubble, but he's calculating in his mind what he's going to do. 
And then he begins to raise up leaders and say, hey, I can't do this by myself. It's going to take all of us. It's going to take you devoting yourself to this portion of the wall and you devoting yourself to this portion of the wall and you devoting yourself to this portion of the wall. And not just you, like your family, everybody involved. And people said, yeah, I want to be a part of that. And so they start picking up all these massive rocks and stacking them correctly, like grown-up Legos, and they build this wall. And suddenly, 52 days later, Several miles worth of wall is built, and so they're thankful. And then they think back to moments after that wall is done, Ezra gets up and he starts to read the word of God for hours on end, and it doesn't get old, and the people fall in love with the word. And then they watch what God begins to do where he begins to convict and move in people's lives. And the people say, hey, we don't want to be the way that we were a long time ago. We don't want to be the way that our fathers were. We don't want to be the way that our grandfathers were. And they begin to move towards who God is and following him in obedience. They've watched all this take place in the span of a few months. And so are they thankful? Yes. Like if you watch God change a nation in the span of a couple of months, you would be unbelievably thankful, right? Like it's about to be June, let's say in August. God has raised up thousands of people across the USA and he's moving in people's lives and people are showing up and people are being saved. Like, would we be excited? Yes, very much so. And these people just watch that. So yeah, they're thankful. And then on top of that, it says they're singing. It says they came together with singing, with cymbals and harps and lyres. I said this is going to be a celebration. They're about to break the band out, Okay. Like in the Bible, there's at least 22 different musical instruments that are written and talked about. At least 22. And so these people begin to gather together and they begin to sing. And that's something that's kind of unique to Christianity. Like these were people of God. Christianity, obviously, New Testament. But if you look throughout religions across the world, singing is pretty unique to us. Like, there's chanting, there's different things like that that other religions do. But you don't turn the radio on and find, like, you know, the Hindu worship channel. Like, that's just not a thing. You don't turn it on and find whatever, Zoroastrianism. Like, they just don't have that. They have certain chants and things like that, and, but not like we do. <laughs> and so these people gathered together to sing. Like, part of our history... You go back to the Old Testament. Remember, this book is written about 2,500 years ago. And yet people whose names I butcher are crying out and singing to God. And then you skip to 2,000 years ago. And we see that they would gather together and they would sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And these homes where they knew, hey, if we get caught doing this, we may die. And then you jump forward into the dark ages, and they still sang. Gregorian chant, it's a little weird, but they, they sang nonetheless. You jump back a couple hundred years ago, people began to write hymns that we still sing today. And you jump into today, and we'll throw some guitars and drums in there, and we still, like, we have continually done this. And one thing we know is we're going to do it on the other side of heaven. Like, singing and worshiping in that sense is always going to be a part 
Because we're always crying out, not so that we can say, man, look how great that person's voice is. No, we're crying out to say, look how great that God is that they're worshiping. And so they've got gladness, thanksgiving, they're singing. And then the last part of this worship moment is purification. It says they brought the Levites in and said the priests and Levites purified themselves and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. So the first thing that happens here, this purification process, is all these Levites and priests get together and they purify themselves. And I remember reading this earlier this week and going, hmm, that's got a little sting to it for me. (laughs) Because leaders need to lead. These were the people that God had called and raised up in his divine glory that were going to lead people in worship, that were going to go to people and say, hey, I'm going to make atonement for your sin. And so that one kind of hit me a little bit of, I've got to continually be doing that, right? Like, because I know what God's called me to do. And so part of my weekly process is going, hey, I got to check myself. Like, before I can lead anything else, like, I need to make sure that I'm doing a good job of that. It goes for all of us, like, for Jeff, Terry, any, like, we're in the leadership of South Point Church. Like, we've got to be in a continual purification process where we're going, hey, what am I chasing after? Is it myself or is it God? And these people came together and they said, you know what? We're purifying and we're going to lead well. It's going to start with us. And then they go out to the people. Some of these people had been in Jerusalem. They'd watch their city go from rubble to, hey, this is turning out pretty nice. Some of these people had come in from villages. Some of these people are the ones that, that, you know, they cast lots for and they brought them in. Some of the people had volunteered to come in. But they go out to the people and say, hey, as we get ready to celebrate, as we get ready to dedicate this wall, not to ourselves but to God, there's going to be a purification process. Because they understood where I stand affects my worship with God. And then, then they moved out to something kind of symbolic. They moved out to the wall and to the gates. Now, were the wall and the gates in some way miraculously changed in that day? Like, oh, they're not going to fall down, but, uh, or they're going to fall down, but now they're not? Probably not. This was just symbolic. But they were saying, hey, look, we had a part in this. We helped build this wall. We helped lay these gates. It's going to be here for our protection. It's going to bring us together, but it's not about us. We want to dedicate this to God. This is his city. We want it to continually point people people back to him. And so this celebration is about to take place in such a big way. And then it starts. Verse 31 says, Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the Dungate. And after them went lots of people. I'm just going to skip over that. What goes down to verse 36 And it says, um, and Ezra the scribe went before them. At the fountain gate, they went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David at the ascent of the wall above the house of David to the water gate to the east. Then in verse 38, it says, the other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north. And I followed with them half of the people on the wall above the tower of the ovens of the broad wall and above the gate of Ephraim and the gate of Yeshenna and the fish gate and the tower of Hanel and the tower of the hundred to the sheep gate. And they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God, and I and half of the officials with me. 
And again, a number of names. But look at the end of verse 42. And the singers sang with Jezriah as their leader. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced. And I love this line. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. God's people are meant to be heard. Like I love, I've, I've said this before, I love just being quiet for a moment in here and hearing everyone sing. And there's times where I can pick out different voices. The other day when we were getting ready to baptize people, I was like, I know exactly where Ryan Green is. Like I could pick him out of everybody. The dude was just singing that loudly. God's people are meant to be heard. And on this day, in a city literally on the other side of the world, all across the plains, these little villages where maybe people couldn't make their way to Jerusalem, or maybe these people wanted nothing to do with Jerusalem. Remember, there's some people living around here that don't really have Jerusalem's interest in mind. They hear God's people. It's just rolling and rolling and rolling. And so in verse 31, it says, and then I, this is where Nehemiah is officially back. I didn't really get into this when we first started this book, but kind of authorship kind of comes into question. Okay, who really wrote Nehemiah? I think Nehemiah contributed most of this. I think whoever wrote Chronicles probably penned it because there's some moments where you, you, you see some different things in here. It goes from like first person to third person back to first person. Um, but Nehemiah is definitely back right now. And Nehemiah understands, hey, I'm going to, Bring these people together. Yes, we've built this wall, and then I've raised up other leaders that are the spiritual leaders, and they're doing what they need to do. But man, today's going to be a time of celebration. And so he gets two massive choirs and brings them together. On one hand, you've got Ezra. He's leading that group. And so he begins to walk, and there's all these people with all these musical instruments, and they literally walk along the wall. He kind of takes one route and begins to go counterclockwise. And as they walk, they sing. They cry out to God, and Ezra's at the lead. But what's really interesting is in verse 38. It says, the other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed them. This is Nehemiah being Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a phenomenal leader. Like, if you want a good lesson on leadership, if you want to be a better leader at home, in your community, in your place of work, just read the book of Nehemiah. <laughs> Because he gives tons of examples. So Nehemiah understands we're going to celebrate, but we're going to do it the right way. Ezra is the leader. He's the religious leader of these people. He's walking in front of the choir. Nehemiah goes, I'm the governor. I'm really good at what I'm doing, and I love God, but I'm not the leader in that sense. So he puts the choir first, and he walks behind them. Like, that's not something to be missed. This is a person understanding there is something more significant going on here than myself. What we do in this church is much more significant than any individual on staff or in leadership because it's about God. And Nehemiah understands that. So Nehemiah says, you know what? That choir is going first. Get up there, guys. Y'all sing. Start walking. They're going that way. We're going this way. And then we are going to meet up in the middle. And as they walked... They sang loudly enough that the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. These are people that remembered all that had happened. 
Again, put yourself in their place for a second. These people are singing, they're worshiping God, and as they're walking, they're walking on the very wall that they built. And so some of these people, and it says they divided it into like probably 40-something different sections. As these people are singing, suddenly they take a step and go, I built that. Like I put that stone right there. So-and-so put that stone over there. We were talking while we were doing this. Like as they're walking along and singing and worshiping, they're also remembering. They're remembering all that God had done. I think about that around here. Like we get together and we do work days at times to where we create some of those memories. There's times where people can walk out in the parking lot. I think one of the first ones we ever did when I was here was we just had a lot of holes in the parking lot. And so we said, let's do something about that. So we brought a bunch of, you know, rock out and people got out there and there's times where someone can walk by and go, hey, I filled that hole in. (laughs) And there's times where, you know, there's a group of us that can walk outside and go, Everybody goes, yeah, there used to be a flower bed out there. And then some people go, yeah, until I knocked it down. (laughs) And somebody can go, you know what, I picked up a 30-pound sledgehammer and beat on that thing for an entire afternoon and then moved bricks around. Like there's all these different moments where if we walk around even this place, we remember. There's times where some of y'all walk down that hallway and go, I held a baby in that room. And there's times where people can walk through this back area and go, I wanted to kill a kid back there. (laughs) Probably mine. There's times where people go over to the gym and go, man, I put a box of food together to be a blessing to someone. I played basketball with a kid over there. I greeted somebody in the parking lot. I hit a button on a computer to bring up God's word. There's all these different things. Like, if we stop down, like, we can remember what God is doing. And these people remembered that. And then it kind of culminates in this moment where these two choirs, they begin to walk around this wall. And remember, this isn't like a short walk. We're talking like a mile for each of them. And there's thousands of people walking along this wall, and they're singing, and they're playing harps, and they're banging tambourines and all that kind of stuff and crying out to God. And then suddenly they meet back up. And they're at the temple. And this is where it culminates. This is the climax. All of God's people coming together. There's no remorse. It's just thanksgiving. There's no destitution. It's a city raised to God's glory. And they come together at the temple and they worship. I mean, you heard voices singing out along this wall. And it starts to get louder and louder and louder as they come together. And now they're at the temple because this is what really mattered. It was about worship to God. See, part one of the book is awesome. You get to see a city restored. You get to see this wall raised up. They're picking up these massive, massive stone rocks and putting them back where they go. And they get done and they can take a step back and they look at this wall and go, it's pretty awesome. Like, let's not shy away from that. But what really mattered was what came after that. God began to stir. God began to move. God began to change lives. And you've got this group of people, some who had been separated for generations, coming together to worship God. This is the climax. This is what the story is all about. Not about the people, about God being glorified and worshiped. And again, I think of this place. 
We've been able to do some pretty cool stuff lately. Like I've got friends and family in town that haven't been here for a while, and they're like, that building looks really different. Yeah, it does. And it's great. Like I don't, it's not anything we need to shy away from. It looks better. It's continuing to look better. Sprinklers are running. Grass is green. We're about to have some more signage put up. That's awesome. But you know what's more awesome? God being glorified. Pointing people back to him. And you've got this culmination of people coming together and going, man, God is moving and doing so many things. He needs to be worshipped. He's the one that we want to cry out to. And in this beautiful moment, you have got thousands of people coming together, descending off this wall, and just crying out and singing and worshiping God. It's a pretty sweet moment in this book. To think of the rubble, to think of the disenchanted people, to think of the people that were far from God, and then to think of this moment, man, they're all coming together and they're worshiping him. It's a pretty sweet moment. And then the service continues. <coughs> Excuse me. Verse 44, it says, On that day, men were appointed over the storerooms and the contributions and the first fruits and the tithes to gather them in um, the portions required by the law for the priests, for the Levites according to the field of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and Levites who ministered. And they performed the service of their God and the service of purification. <coughs> Excuse me as did the singers and the gatekeepers according to the command of David and his son Solomon. For long ago in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of the singers, and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel, and in the days of Nehemiah gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers, and they set apart that which was for the Levites, and the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron. As this worship service kind of culminates. Here's a couple things that happened. One, this was a day of giving. Like this was a people still understanding, man, we've watched all the things that God has done. We've watched this wall be raised. We've watched people move back in. We've heard God's word read. We've watched the Levites begin to return and do what Levites are supposed to do. We've watched the priests return and do what priests are supposed to do. And they said, we want to see that continue. And so we're going to partner in that. We're going to be a part of it. And so they continue to give in these moments. They watched worship take place, and they wanted, one, to be a part, and two, they wanted to see it continue. Like, I hope that when it comes to our own church, like, we want to be a part of what God's doing, that we want to be a part of things like VBS that's going to be coming up. And I know that everybody gets up and goes, hey, you already volunteered? Well, yeah, you volunteered. Um, like, we hope you want to be a part of that, to want to see God change kids' lives, because sometimes through that, he changes adults' lives. In the different ministries that are going on, we got kids going to camp, we got kids doing missions, like all these different things. I hope that we want to be a part of that and hope we want to see it continue. Like I feel like God's doing things in our lives. And I pray that we would want to continue to see that. These were people that had watched a massive change in their own lives. And they went, you know what? This is pretty good. The wall's here. I'm not living in fear anymore. Man, they keep reading God's word and it doesn't get old. Like, I'm loving what is happening. And they wanted to continue to be a part of that. And look at what God's done as we've walked through this. He's restored a city. First time Nehemiah shows up, 
He's looking at a place, he's like, man, this is, this is the tornado at the trailer park kind of thing. <laughs> like, this is not good. Everything's in rubble. And yet he restored that city. And he can still do that today. There's times, man, I, I love where we live. I love it. I'm thankful. I'm thankful that God has placed me in Abilene in 2021. But I can still drive around this city and I can see a lot of hurt. I can see a lot of people that are in need. I can drive by places that look absolutely beautiful and know that there's a lot of hurt inside there too. There's times we drive down certain streets and go, man, I wish God would do something here. There's a lot prettier ones that he can do something there as well. He restored that city, and I hope and pray that he'll continue to restore ours. He brought about revival. God's word starts being read over people, and people begin to respond. And he does that today as well. He does it through the gospel. The fact that every single one of us, man, we know in our hearts, I have done things that rail against a perfect and holy God. We call that sin. That sin separates us from God. And we can try all the things we want to get back to him. We can try to be a good person. That's great. I like to live around good people, but I would be lying if I said just being a good moral person gets you back to God. We try going to church. I love when people go to church. <laughs> kind of part of my job. <laughs> but I would be lying if I told you because you walk in these doors that that's what saves you. It's not. The only thing that saves us is Jesus Christ. That God in his love sent his only son, lived a perfect life, laid that life down willingly, Scripture says, for the joy set before him, he went to the cross. That is a powerful statement. Because if you know I'm about to go to a cross, which is an absolutely horrific way to die, and you can attach joy to it, mm, mm, I think that's a good response. We don't need an amen. We need a mm. That's what he did for us. And in doing that, he made a way for salvation. He made a way for revival. And it's only through him that we can have that. And then you see a people coming together united. Nehemiah just moved to Jerusalem from a city a thousand miles away. Nehemiah pulled people from random villages, maybe a dozen, maybe a few miles. But suddenly all these people started showing back up and going, we're God's chosen people. I'm an Israelite. You're an Israelite. And God's bringing us together, and he's still doing that today. I mean, some of you moved here from out of state. Some of you grew up here. Some of you lived here for a long time. Some of us for a short time. But God is bringing people together. And I love when we begin to sit down and share stories and talk and laugh and do all of those things. And I pray that he continues to do that. We still got one more week in this book, but this is a pretty sweet moment in Nehemiah. I don't think there's any one of us that wouldn't want to be on that wall. Who wouldn't want to walk behind somebody singing and in front of somebody singing 
and know, man, I'm just, I'm half the choir. The other half's a mile over there. I can hear them. Everybody can hear them. And then they all get back together and they just sing and worship God. The beauty for us today is we get to do that on a weekly basis. And I think about that when we come together. Man, I pray that we cry out to who God is and what he's doing. I pray that we enjoy and we act in thanksgiving for all that he's blessed us with. And we know the things that he's going to continue to do. Let's pray. God, we love you. God, thank you for always being God. That can sound almost silly, but God, I read in Genesis where you're God. And then I read in Nehemiah 2,500 years ago where you're God. I read in Acts where you're God. I read in Revelation where you're God, and I know that you're God today. Thank you for continuing to move in your creation. God, I pray that every time we gather together, it has a hint of this. God, I pray more than a hint. God, I pray that this is what every worship service we have would look like. Your people coming together know that we're changed not by ourselves, but by you, and we glorify you for doing it. God, we love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.